All right, welcome back everyone to the Loyal to the Game podcast. This is episode four, uh, brought to you by 613u.com. My name is Jack, and as always, I'm joined by Caleb and Jaden. And today we have an excellent show for you. We're going to be tackling all things first round with that coming to an end uh, just a few days ago. And then we're going to move into our predictions and thoughts for the second round now that all those matchups are set in stone. I also just did want to give a disclaimer that we have been working through some uh, technical issues regarding uh, rural Bay of Quinney Wi-Fi, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate. And uh, we're trying our best to deliver a crisp, clean podcast, but we apologize if there are any uh, cracklings or internet connection issues uh, throughout this recording. Guys, how much uh, basketball have you been intaking? Are you are you in basketball overload, or is it is it just just the right amount? So, Jack, what, what's uh, what's been going on with you? I've been loving every second of these the start of the second round here, and then the first round as well. Um, I'm hyped about what's going on. I'm so hyped about basketball. It even got me to create a new my career on 2K. So uh, no, I'm enjoying it thoroughly. What about you, Jay? Yeah, same here. I'm, I'm really liking the late games. That seems to be the games that I, I really tune in for. So I feel like the late games have been super exciting with the with all the West West Coast teams. So I mean, so far it's been nothing short of incredible. All the storylines, all of the the big games that some of the players have been having. So let's keep it going. Yeah, well, you young bucks uh, can stay up for those late games. On the early game for me, I'm usually gassed by uh, by about ten thirty. So I'm glad we got we got eyes on every every game. I usually have to catch the highlights or the last little bit of the highlights of uh, the late games, but uh, we we make make the most of it. So before we get into now, like we're we're in the second round, and uh, you know there's some series that already played a couple games. Uh, let's just do a quick um, takeaways from our first round series that we saw. So. I'll uh, start with the uh, quickest one that's so long ago. Uh, that was over pretty quick, but the Bucks and the Heat. Jack, what did you learn from this matchup? I learned that I think the Heat need to make a change here. I mean, they had a lot of success in the bubble last year, but they sort of have an aging team, I find, with the exception of a couple uh, couple players on their roster. I think Butler's aging. Um, Drogic, who was huge for them in the bubble, hasn't really uh, been quite as good this season. Um but from the Bucks' perspective, I thought they played great defense. Um, they were able to shoot the ball well other than game one. And I thought they were a better team when Giannis didn't have to score a lot, when he could just play animalistic defense, crash the glass, and just play his style rather than isolating. I thought they were a better team, and I thought it would translate more into the second round than it has so far. But it was an enjoyable series um, from the Bucks' perspective, and I thought it would definitely go a bit longer. Jay, what about you? What did you think of the series? Yeah, I think the Bucks play very well. Um, but on Miami side, I think they really need a, a pure scorer on their team. We know that Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson are two young players that can shoot the lights out of the gym at any point. But they really didn't take that next step this year, which I thought that they might be more put more of an impact on the series. Um, but that's not to take away from from Milwaukee absolutely locking them down the entire time. It's just that the Miami Heat doesn't have that guy that can go out and get them a bucket. They have Jimmy Butler who can get, can have great games here and there and be a consistent playmaker. But who's that guy that's going to average 20 to 25 points a game and get you big buckets down the stretch and also get you timely buckets throughout the whole entire game. That just didn't happen this series and in Milwaukee shut them down and, and now they're moving on. Yeah. I think you guys nailed it. He looked old. Uh, Bam wasn't like he was their young guy that was, you know, a real big difference maker uh, in last year's uh, in the bubble. It looks like the Bucks improved from the bubble and the heat seemed to go the opposite direction or uh, just look, look old, worn down, whatever it was. Uh, Jimmy Buckets was certainly not uh, Jimmy Buckets going under 30 percent from the field and on 26 uh, percent from the three point line while he's getting 38 minutes a game. That's uh that's trouble right there when your best player is, is shooting that, that poorly. Um, and yeah, like last year, they were able to hit those shots this year. They, they could not shoot well at all. Another thing that was alarming to me was Ariza getting 24 minutes a game. So he's getting more minutes than uh, hero. Like you mentioned, like we were thinking hero and Robinson were going to be making leaps forward and improving on last year, but really uh, hero especially struggled. So um, yeah, they, they simple answer they 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 looked bad they looked old and uh the better team better team won 
What about the the Sixers Wizards? Not quite as quick of a series as the Bucks Heat. Jaden, what did you learn about the Sixers or the Wizards during the series? See, I, I think that Philadelphia is so dominant when Joel wants them to be dominant. He's the driving force behind everything. He's their all-star, obviously. But um, I think that if they want to be successful, they need to keep him long-term. They can trade everyone else, but he's the guy that, that they need to keep. Ben, great player, doesn't have a jump shot, can play defense really well. That's pretty much it's it, that's as far as it's going to go with him. But with Joel, you can do so many things. You, you can take him on the perimeter and you can shoot the jumper or you can, he can go inside and dominate down low. He can do it all. He can pass the ball as well. I think that um, Joel has really taken that next step in becoming superstar level and potentially one day, maybe uh, an MVP. Jack, I know, you we've talked a lot about Westbrook and I mean, he's a guy that's always seems to be in the news and uh, kind of a house of highlights special. So is he capable of being a starting guard for a title team? To be honest at this point in his career, I really don't think so. I think his inefficiency from the field and inability to shoot the three consistently um, is just too much, especially um, on a title team. You need to be able to make open shots and you need to be able to put the ball in the basket. I think Westbrook at this point, He's a floor raiser. He isn't a ceiling raiser. So if he's on a terrible team, they're going to finish with a, a, a decently good record. Um, but if he if he's supposed to be your best or second best player on a championship caliber team, I just don't think that that team can get over the hump. And in terms of this series, the Sixers just were so much better. But one thing I, I thought stuck out to me is like the health of Embiid, obviously. He's their best player. Um, I mean, they have the best role player in the league, Ben Simmons, uh, as their second best player. But Embiid has to be healthy and he has to be dominant if this Sixers team is going to live up to the expectations they have going into this playoff run. What you like stands out to to me was, you know, I, I went more on the other side of just the the flawed Wizards team. And at the beginning of the year, no one was really expecting them to do any any damage. And then Bradley Beal and Westbrook put together an impressive run to, to close the season. Uh, but Bertons gets paid a hell of a lot of money and he averaged under 10 points a game, uh, less than three rebounds a game and shot less than 40% or shot about 40% from the field. So if that's one of your key role players that you're paying big bucks for, uh, that's, you know, that's not good. Even if Westbrook and Beal are, um, you know, capable of leading a team being one, two, you still need a little bit more help uh, surrounding them. And I got a name drop Ish Smith. Ish Smith is a guy I love to watch. Uh, not sure if I would love to have him on my, on my team so much, but uh, he is so, he's so fast and like, he's so hard to guard. That would be a nightmare. Uh, but ultimately Sixers were way too big and Tobias Harris was incredible. Uh, 25 points a game, 10 rebounds, uh, almost four assists, but he shot 50% from the field, 38% from the three point line, 90% uh, free throws. He's going to need to do that. Um, if the Sixers are going to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think, you know, like you guys mentioned, it's it's all about Embiid, really. Uh, but the Wizards, it was, it was a nice run, and uh, see you later. I don't know what your future holds, but I think you are where, where you should be. Uh, <laughs> moving on. So a really intriguing series was the, the Nets-Celtics. I don't think anyone – uh, was was picking the Celtics. I think Jack, you might have flirted with the idea as a, as a joke, but uh, you guys know my take. My take: the Nets are just supremely talented offensively, and in this series, uh, their big three combined for 85 points per game, 21 rebounds, and uh, almost 16 and a half assists. Uh, so that is just incredible numbers. And also, Durant seems to be their their best defender, uh, and he actually embraces it. He doesn't miss from mid range. Uh, so they should still be the favorites to win the title. And they, I think they proved that against the Celtics minus that one little hiccup where they just, I think they just wanted Tatum to get some respect to let them have a good game, but, uh, get it. What is without getting too much in, into what's in store for the future of the Celtics? Cause I'm sure Jack, you're going to talk, talk about that later. Um, what were your takeaways about this series, Jack? Well, I had a couple major takeaways. Uh, firstly, it's that Jason Tatum is going to be one of the faces of the league the next five, 10 years. 
That guy is just unbelievable putting the ball in the basket. He can't be stopped. His jumper is it's it's getting to a level where it's it's almost Durant-esque. I mean, you can't block it. He shoots it from so high up in his uh in his form. He he's incredible. He really he really impressed me. The other thing that I took away from this series was that I'm starting to buy into your Nets propaganda. I mean, they were so dominant in this series and going forward, you you said it yourself, they the big 3 combined for 85 a game. I mean, that's just ludicrous. Um I really think that this Nets team if they continue to be able to even put up like a little bit of fight defensively, there's not many teams in the league who can outscore them. And you're totally right about it. But sorry, lastly, I just wanted to say, I, I wish we would have been able to see these teams at full strength because the Celtics, they were missing three starters for the majority of that series. Um, I would have really liked to see Robert Williams play a little bit more. I mean, he had nine blocks in that game one. And then Kemba, who uh, a lot of people say is the, the Celtics X factor. He, I think he only played in two games in the series or three maximum. So I would have liked to see them. Oh, I'm sorry, not to mention Jalen Brown. Um, I would have liked to see them full strength, but the Nets are definitely going to be tough to beat. So Jaden, does defense matter when you have three guys that can put up a hundred points by themselves like the Nets do? Not really. No. I mean, you would expect your role players or the guy that, or the, the players that aren't, a part of the big three to kind of step up defensively because they've already got the offense from the big three. You need some defense out of the guys. And, and that's what we kind of saw. And uh, one guy that I also wanted to touch on was Blake Griffin has really shown that he can become a part of a team and, and something bigger than himself. We know that in Detroit, he was a, a skeleton of his um, actual skill and talent level that we saw in LA went to Detroit, he lost everything, couldn't dunk, couldn't really play. Detroit was was tough on him. It, and it, it is a tough city to play in. A uh, little grimy, a little uh, blue collar, but he's in Brooklyn, big lights. He's got he's got a big three, and, and you really see him rejuvenated and, uh, and really starting to show something of what he used to be. Now, one thing I do want to say about the series is that I was super pissed when Tatum went off for 40-plus because – that one game, I had the Nets in a parlay, and I needed the Nets to win that game. And it just, it was frustrating because I remember watching it, and, and what they would do is um, they would put for, in the fourth quarter, I believe, they would, some, I think it was KD guarding uh, Tatum, pick and roll, switch up. Now Kyrie's guarding Tatum, and it's just easy for Tatum to rise up and get that uh, little mid-range jumper over Kyrie or take him in the post and, and really do what he wants. So. I think that um, the game plan for, for Boston, that specific game worked really well because they didn't have to make a lot of adjustments if it kept working. And, and I think that's something that you look for in, in good coaching is if you see an advantage or mismatch, you exploit that. And that's what they kept doing in the fourth quarter. And they kept going to Tatum versus Kyrie because obviously Tatum couldn't miss and, and Kyrie just wasn't tall enough or, or strong enough to defend him. So I think the Celtics have a good core players that they can really grow with. I think that um, with Kemba, Jalen Brown, Tatum, uh, you, you mentioned Williams. He's a, he was unbelievable in that first game with those nine blocks. I mean, I think that's a really good young core that you can really flourish with and, and start adding pieces to it to continue to be contenders in the East. But when you run up against a big three like Kyrie, Harden, and KD, there's not much you can do. So from the big city to another big city in bright lights uh, trending in the opposite direction seems to be the, the Knicks in their series with the Hawks. So Jack, should Knicks fans be surprised by this result? To be honest, I, I don't think so. I mean, the Hawks are a better team. They're deeper. Um, their best player is just simply better than the Knicks best player. And I thought that Knicks fans kind of disappointed me with the way they reacted to this. I mean, it sucks to go out like that and in, in a, shorter series like that but they if you're a Knicks fan you got to be stoked after this season I mean they overachieved so hard to get that four seed and get home court I mean they faltered a little bit in the playoffs but they did lose to the better team and you can't really complain about that because that's better for basketball if the better team wins and more times than not but going forward you got Randall he'll hopefully learn how to be the first option in, in a half court um, oriented offense and you've got a lot of young excellent pieces to build around in the future and the reigning defending coach of the year now with uh, Tom Thibodeau locking up that award. So if you're a Knicks fan, you might be surprised and disappointed by this result, but 
looking forward, you have to be incredibly excited. And it's, it's excited about what happened this season as well, because it must have been a dream season if you're a, a New York basketball fan. Absolutely, it should be. Anyways, it's been so long, they've been good. Uh, so I think this is the easiest question. I'm set. This is a layup for you, Jay. But how much better was Trey Young than Julius Randle in this series? It, it was night and day. And, and now I'm all about that ice tray, baby. That's that's my guy. He's he's shown that he can show up in the big lights. And, and what harder environment to play in than in a Madison Square Garden that's filled to the brink, full, full capacity pretty much, full, filled with pissed off Knicks fans that haven't won a thing in 20 years. I mean, that is just, that that is tough to do. And with, with uh, the scumbag Knicks fans just, spitting and 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 racial slurs and, and all this stupidness um trey young was able to go out and and really perform under the bright lights he was he was knocking down deep shots he was taking bows after his legendary performances i think that he really showed randall what it was like to perform in the playoffs at a high level if the knicks want to keep continue on this trajectory of going upwards i think that Randall really needs to step it up in the playoffs and just needs to demand the ball. Say, listen, give me the ball. I'm going to take this small little dude in the post and, and I'm going to go to work. And, and I don't think that he did that this, uh, this year. And that's why uh, the Hawks are moving on and um, the Knicks are, uh, are back on the golf course. Well, let me follow up with that. So Trey Young, I think really embraced the irritant villain role I mean, he gets under my skin just as a casual fan. I don't even have a dog in this fight, uh, but he's entertaining. And I think that's that's great. There, there needs to be, uh, yeah, just that kind of draw. You either watch because you love him or you watch because you, you hate him. Uh, you, know, you know who he reminded me of? Who? And, and I'm just thinking about this now is, uh, is Reggie Miller. Yeah. I mean, he, he played that villain role back in the, in the Pacers-Knicks rivalry back in the day. So I think that, um, whether it was bound to the crowd or, or really just brushing off all that negative energy and just says, you know what, I'm the best player on this floor and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Yeah. Mentality. I think that's, that was awesome to see. And I think basketball needs that. Absolutely. It, uh, yeah, just, it, it gives you a reason to watch what, like one way or whatever side you're on, you, you, you hear tuning in, uh, so he reminds me of this, like that little mouthpiece that's on the schoolyard that knows his, his big friends will, will stick up for him if uh, push comes to shove, but he's got this irrational toughness or, uh, and Bill Simmons says this a lot, but he's got a testicular fortitude. <laughs> so uh, he definitely has that. Uh, but moving to the Knicks, I think they prove that, you know, hard work and, and effort um, can in the regular season, you know, can, can get you into the playoffs, just like out hustling your opponents. Um, and, you know, you can make up for talent in the regular season, just with uh, playing smart, hard nosed basketball, but in the playoffs, I think their supreme lack of talent really showed. And for the, for the series, they shot under 40% from the field, which is, I mean, the Hawks shot 45%, which is a big difference. Uh, but Randall, Barrett, and Bullock, three of their top four minute getters all shot under 40%. That can't happen. And Randall, not to pile on Randall, but he shot under 30%. That is, I mean, wow. Uh, you need to, you need, you need to, <laughs> I don't know what else to say, but that is atrocious. Jimmy Butler also shot under 30% in his series. Uh, so your team's relying on these guys. They just did not deliver. So also looking at getting into the advanced stats too, like Randall's offensive rating was 84, which is worse than everyone on the Hawks minus Tony Snell. The entire Hawks roster was more efficient. Someone that I really would have loved to see more or, or at all in the series was Kevin Knox. I mean, I know that he was, uh, he, he put on quite a show these, uh, these past, this past year or two, he had a couple of really big games. And I just think that obviously since he's fallen out of the rotational chart, I think that um, the Knicks could have used a, a, a spark plug like him well yeah. heck if he even shot 31 percent uh it would have been it would have been an upgrade why not try something else jack just, what were you saying yeah just before we move on real quick i just want to shout out tony snell real quick like i'm not a fan of him that much because he's a raptor killer he's one of those guys who's not great but he's great against the raptors but he had the first ever 50 50 100 season this year 
like 50% from the field, 50% from three and a hundred percent from the free throw line, which is just crazy, like crazy efficiency for a guy who played 20 plus minutes a game in the regular season. So I just want to give a quick shout out to Mr. Snell. Cause that was crazy impressive. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine someone uh, doing that in warmups really, <laughs> let alone in an actual game. So we see you, Tony Snell. Uh, on to the West. Uh, some some good, uh, well, plenty of good storylines in the West. Uh, really enjoyed watching it. The times that I did stay up to uh, <laughs> follow all these games, but we'll start with the with the Jazz and the Grizzlies. Um, Jay is is Donovan Mitchell pissed off at everybody? Is he mad at everybody? It seems that way, and it's just like this guy is just attacking the rim with so much force, and every time he makes a bucket, he's yelling something. He's He's got this crazy – he's got this Russell Westbrook mentality to him that he's really shown in and has really flourished this, uh, this season, and Jazz fans are loving it. And I think one, um, one reason why this is happening is because Dwayne Wade is now part owner of the Jazz. And he's really obviously there's the the comparison between the two, the playing style, the the position, everything is is very very similar. And I think that um, Dwayne Wade has acted like a kind of like a big brother, a, a a vet to him. So Donovan Mitchell has been nothing short of unbelievable for the Jazz, and and might even take them all the way to to the finals, which is which is crazy to think of. But he's just that good, and he's just putting been putting up some ridiculous numbers, especially against the Grizzlies. Jack, I know you're a, a Rudy Gobert uh, truther, uh, but I'm going to actually set you up with a, with a Grizzlies question. So are the Grizzlies leveling up and are they actually going to be a legit contender in the West next season? Well, the Grizzlies are most definitely leveling up. I, I don't know if I can confidently say that they will be a true contender next year, just because they're, they're still so young and they kind of, Jaw has was amazing in the playoffs, but I, I don't know if he's a, a number one guy on a, on a contender yet, but they're an exciting young roster. I mean, Morant, obviously, uh, Dylan Brooks took a huge step up in this playoffs. He shot the ball really well. He scored really well. And his physical hard-nosed defense is just something that every team should want on their roster. Um, they were just getting Jaron Jackson Jr. back from injury, so he didn't actually get to uh, contribute all that much offensively, but if he's healthy and playing like we know we can, he can, uh, he's another great piece. And then my guy, JV, Jonas Valanciunas, was a monster for this team this season. And if he can continue that going forward, it, that's so huge for them to have a, a truly a big, big center rather than a small ball center or something like that who can put points on the board and who is one of, in my opinion, the best defensive rebounders in the NBA. So I don't think they're a true contender but I think they're going to be a really good team going forward. And I think they're going to be one of those young teams who's really hard to dispose of in early rounds of the playoffs. No doubt. Um, one thing I, I will touch between JV and Dylan Brooks, though, I feel like the Grizzlies have two guys that foul more than anybody in the league. Like one, two, <laughs> fouling punch up. They, they certainly, uh, if that's a, we need to, we need to check into that, get our stat geek on there to see if there's any duo that fouls more uh, per minutes played than, than JV and Dylan Brooks. But uh, you got to admire their, their aggression. No doubt. I, my biggest takeaway from this, this series though, is that the jazz are really good. They can score and they can defend. So they're going to the finals. Uh, you know, I, I had that written in the notes before, before uh, their game last night. Uh, I, I believe they're just the best overall team in the West. Uh, a lot of pieces and they got a star in, in Donovan Mitchell and also a defensive star in, in Gobert um, with the Grizzlies. I thought they kind of just maxed out their talent. I don't think they could have played much better, or much harder. And they still lost in five, which is, you know, it says just something about how good the jazz are. They, you know, for the series, they shot over 50% from the field, over 40% from three point, And they had five players over 17 points per game. How do you compete with, a full lineup of guys that average over 17 like that is crazy efficient offense so uh the jazz will be getting to the finals and losing to the nets uh uh <laughs> this year so Jaden, you may want to bet that uh, <laughs> moving on to a, a series that we we followed we are all you know uh dame fans so the nuggets and the blazers uh i'll let i'll start us off with just i just feel really bad for dame because 
first of all, the odds are against him. He's under six, four, which means he's probably never going to be the best player in a title team. If you look at history there, you know, there's a certain height you need to be to win a title or be the best guy on your team. And he's a prime example of it. He's an unbelievable talent. He makes the probably most difficult shots, uh, especially in that, in that game five that we, we saw going to going to double overtime, like the degree of difficulty of his shooting is, is second to none. They know he's shooting and he still is able to create separation uh, and knock down the three. It had, I have to wonder what, uh, Mike Malone or Michael Malone um, was thinking. <laughs> careful. <laughs> yeah, careful. Sorry, uh, sorry, Michael, sir. Um, you know, like you, you don't think you know Dame's not human, so you can't treat him like a, a normal player. Like you just get the ball out of his hands. In hindsight, of course, it's easy to say that, but uh, anyways, he almost single-handedly won them that game. Uh, they still lost, but those are just impossible baskets and he plays nearly perfect and they still lose. So poor defense and rebounding really cost the Blazers uh, and Jokic and company are just mildly better on defense and more, more efficient on offense. So I think that's the, the biggest takeaway. Uh, Jack on the Dame note, is it time to blow it up in Portland? To be honest, I, I think so. And I don't even necessarily think that means moving Dame. I just think that this roster They've tried to go back in the playoffs in the West uh, with this pretty like consistently the same roster over the last like three to five years. And it just hasn't worked. I mean, they got to the Western conference finals that one time, but then they were just blown out of the gym by the warriors after leading by double digits in all four games. Um, I think McCollum, he's great. Um, but I do think that if you're, you need a guy next to Dame, who, who's just more aggressive and can create his own shot a little bit better. I mean, McCollum, he's a great catch and shoot guy. He, he can create his own shot, but I think, I think next to Dame, you need a big, a big, like who can just bang down low, who can maybe hit the outside shot. Um, who's an elite pick and roll player, because that will provide a lot of options for Dame as um, coming downhill or uh, for the big coming downhill, receiving it from Dame as well. Um, I think McCollum's going to be gone. I think Nurkic is probably going to be gone. Um, I also don't think Norman Powell is likely to re-sign there. I just don't think he wants to play for a team that just plays negative defense um, and just tries to outscore every single game. You know, I just think that the Blazers need to make a big move here in the offseason to get out of this sort of wheel of mediocrity that they've been in the last uh, three to five years. They need to make a change. I know they're a small market team, but that they got to do something to uh, change up this roster because Dame is special and they can win with him. So, so yeah, Jay, uh, what do you think of the the Nuggets Blazers series? Um, I know you, you uh, have a good take about uh, their their hopes for the for the title. So uh, yeah, how good does the non Jokers need to be uh, for them? Or what do you think of the non Jokers in uh, in the series? I still think that they need to step it up big time. They need to take some of the load off of Jokic. He cannot be scoring 25, 30 points a night. Like I get it. Like that you go through him and some, some nights he does seem unstoppable, but you need help from your, from your point guards and from your, um, from your Aaron Gordon's on the team. Like you need some more help that way because teams are going to get smarter. And, and I, and I'm thinking that coaches are going to figure out a way how to stop Jokic, whether it's uh, doubling him and leaving a non-shooter open in the corner or, um, or putting someone else on him. But I just think that, they can't keep going this way. He needs more help, and it needs to come from guys like Austin Rivers, who we know can get a bucket, um, and, and also in Aaron Gordon. So um, foreshadowing a little bit, but um, as if history is, is any indication on how the series will go, um, Austin Rivers is going to have to step up big time. Fair enough. Um Jack, as a LeBron fanboy, how does the result of the the Lakers Suns uh, make you feel, knowing that we will not have LeBron in the playoffs any longer? Well, it sucks as a LeBron fan because I mean I just love watching the guy play, but I mean fourteen and one in the first round isn't that bad. So, but um, in, in in all honesty, I'm happy happy for the Suns. I mean they deserve it. They were amazing in the in the bubble last year, eight and zero in the uh, the play-ins before the playoffs. But, uh, you know, like I said earlier, the better team won, and uh, that's better for the league and better for the sport. Um, I, I really, if I had to bet money, 
I truly, I, this might be just because I'm a fanboy, but I think LeBron was playing very hurt in that series. And I won't, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he elected to get an off season surgery um, on that ankle, he just didn't look explosive and he, he wasn't the same guy. And, and I hope, I hope that's not like kind of the start of the end sort of thing that we see in some other aging superstars, but you know, it sucked to see LeBron go down, but the Suns are a really good team and it's going to be exciting to watch them going forward in the playoffs. Jaden, did the acquisitions of Schroeder and Harrell and Gasol actually make the Lakers better this year? The acquisition of Schroeder and Harrell didn't. I think that the acquisition of Gasol did, and that's not me being a Raptors fan. That's me being a basketball fan because what the acquisition of Gasol does is it brings another defensive presence down low that has been there before that has won a championship that has handled some of the best and biggest uh, post players um, in today's NBA and knows how to do them at a high efficient level. But on the offensive end, he can also act as a, a second LeBron. He's a big man that, that can play make. He can, he can get at the top of the key and he can make something out of nothing by looking at guys, not looking at guys, um, using his length to, to hold the ball high up so that, like he can pass from any angle pretty much. So I think that Gasol has helped him out big time. And I think that them not playing, um, them not playing him for a couple games and, and giving Drummond more minutes was not the right thing to do, especially when uh, Drummond was playing like crap. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I think overall with this series, you know, the obvious is, is AD's health, but my biggest uh, feeling after the series ended is just so happy for the, the point God that is Chris Paul. Uh, yeah. He's probably the most petty player in the NBA. Uh, and he certainly can be a dick. Uh, it seems like former teammates would uh, have, have said that, or at least Glenn, big baby Davis says he's a bad teammate. Uh, I actually think that's bogus. Uh, um, other teams, fan bases. Sure. You can hate them. Uh, but his teams win more games. It is a fact. Any team that he's on, they win more than the previous season. Uh, his teammates become better or smarter. They just know how to win games a little bit better because of his presence. So go CP3. Uh, it's, not, it's not only that, though. It's not only them getting more wins. He's making his teammates more money. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's get, Well, interesting you say that. Um, I think I had, like, uh, just because he's on the Suns and he's later in his career, like, I just ultimately think of Steve Nash and like to me, Chris Paul is the last of a dying breed, which, which is why I like him. He, he's, you know, I model my haircut and uh, a lot of my game after Chris Paul, but uh, <laughs> so he's just, he's a true point guard that, that isn't a score first guard, which is so rare now. Like every point guard is, is a score. Um, so it, he's, like I said, he's, he's just unique and there's not many guys like him that are, um more of a facilitator first uh now he's he does still score a lot but i think um he just elevates the game of everyone around him the role players step up his team you know as i said knows how to win more and comparing him to to nash uh the same kind of thing different leadership styles certainly um you know nash uh, i think was more of a fun loving guy it seemed like uh, i'm sure would hold you accountable but chris paul is more in your face and uh, his way is right even if it may not be, uh, but you, you buy in and, and you believe, but just like looking at the roster, if, if CP is Nash, then Aiton is Stoudemire, is Amari Stoudemire, Booker is Joe Johnson, Bridges is Sean Marion, Crowder is Boris Diaw or Q Rich, depending on how far back you go, and campaign is Leandro uh, Barbosa. So, and like you said, contracts, well, uh, Nash certainly got Joe Johnson paid a lot of money and Boris Dio and Stoudemire, like these guys with Nash were incredible. And most of them moved on to even bigger contracts. So uh, yeah, maybe, maybe Bridges and uh, campaign are getting their next contract, uh, you know, a little extra, a little extra bucks and it might be sending some CP threes way. Uh, but yeah, ultimately awesome for the Suns. And it's, I, I made this whole thing about Chris Paul, but Devin Booker won, won me and, uh, and my brother, brother-in-law over with his performance in that, uh, in that game six going, going off and then letting, letting the Lakers, or I think it was Dennis Schroeder know about it with his, uh, what 
thought so. Um, that was tough. Uh, when you don't say much uh, throughout your career, but then, you know, you, you get a little something, uh, I think it holds a lot more weight. So yeah, that was, that was awesome. Really happy for the Suns and, and Chris Paul and uh, looking forward to, to seeing what they, what they do next. And now we saved the best for last. That's one word. Uh, or maybe the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we we'll, we do know a, a Clippers fan and he let us know. So Rosie, if you're listening, um, we, we were wrong. Okay. Two nothing. And the, the Clippers looked defeated and we were all in on the Mavs and we jinxed them. So apologies, Dallas, apologies, Mark Cuban, everyone on the Mavs roster. It's on us that loss. Uh, but more realistically, Jaden, was this more about how good Kawhi is or was this more about how bad Luca's supporting cast is? Oh, it's Luca's supporting cast by far. It's, they didn't come to, like, they just didn't come to play. They couldn't, there was, there was, I, I could think of two guys. No, no I'm, I'm thinking of one guy that really helped at Luca uh, and hits really clutch shots in the, in those final games, Tim Hardaway Jr. Pops was in the stand. He was knocking out some fadeaway threes. He was getting to the bucket. He was playing so aggressive while Luca was either taking a, a breather on the bench or was just not involved with the play. I think that other than Tim Hardaway Jr., everyone else is is up for trade or can or can leave. I think that that's the main guy that you want to keep uh, on your team. Other than that, I mean, Luca needs more help for sure, and he needs a big man. And I know that you guys were so uh, we're, we're a bit negative towards Kristaps uh, Porzingis, um, but I guess rightfully so. He didn't have a great series, and and who knows? It could have. It could have been um, personal stuff going on. He could have just had some stuff um, in his life that um, really prevented him from playing at the top of his game. But when you're, I guess, when you're getting paid millions of dollars and you're expected to be one of the best stretch fours, maybe even a five in the game, you're expected to show up in, in playoffs and you're expected to, uh, to close the series when you have the opportunity. Well, I think he had a moment to, to, to show, you know, he had his opportunity to, to silence the, the doubters, uh, shut me up, but he didn't do that. So I'm going to keep talking about KP being overrated and uh, just not very good. We shouldn't even talk about him as a co-star uh, or whatever we call him. He's just a guy in my opinion. So Jack, you seem to be the off season expert or at least the way that we're setting you up with these. So you talked about the, what the Blazers need to do. Uh, moving forward, what do the Mavs need to do to help Luca? You know, I, I was thinking about that, and I'm I'm not 100 sure. I was trying to think of what sort of players around him would be the best options. Um, at first, I was thinking just surround him with shooters, kind of the LeBron formula that people came up with, where Luca drives, touches the paint, and he's got a guy to kick out who is a consistent enough shooter that you live with that shot all day. But after watching the later games in that series, when Carlisle decided to go with the jumbo jumbo lineup with Porzingis and Boban next to each other, I think you surround him with three point shooters, but I think a really good center uh, and not necessarily a power forward, like a perimeter style guy, a really good center next to Luca would really help. Um, it would get him more looks in the pick and roll um, as coming, give him more room in the pick and roll, as well as just having a guy who's an excellent roller who rolls to open space well and can uh, create his own shot would be really helpful. Um, two guys who I know are our free agents coming up this season, who I would really love to see in Dallas are first of all, my guy, Norm Powell. I think he would be really good next to Luca with his uh, three point ability. And, and he's a, he's an underrated defender. He's a, he's a good, uh, good defender. He can play the two alongside Luca. And then I also would want to see a little bit of Yusuf Nurkic action uh, with Luca as well. Um, I, I don't think he's too happy with the situation in Portland right now. And he's a big guy. Um, you know, I really was a huge fan of him before the unfortunate uh, broken leg injury. Um, but I think Nurkic next to Luca would be really good. He takes up a lot of room. I uh, can bang down low. He sets good screens. Um, he has a soft touch as well for a, a really big guy. So I think those are two guys who, who the Dal Dallas could target and who would actually improve their team. Anything to say to Rosie or Clippers fans like about this, about this series? I, I, we did a good job of like helping you evade any Clippers talk <laughs> uh, takeaways from this series uh, game 
game six, game seven. You know, I mean, I hold a lot of resentment in my heart for Kawhi, towards Kawhi for leaving. But man, was he ever absolutely incredible in that series. Um, I mean, in their four wins, he shot 100% from the field in the fourth quarter in the Clippers' four wins, which is just absolutely nuts. Wow. Yeah, Good just crazy. And, you know, I, I got on Ty Lue a lot, but he made some really good adjustments. Uh, he went small with Morris at the five. I thought that really, really was successful. It got him a lot of open looks uh, at the three-point line. And then when Dallas decided to play zone, he would throw Kawhi or uh, Paul George at the free-throw line and get some uh, inside-out looks going. So uh, shout-out to Ty Lue. He proved, proved me wrong. Um, he, he coached a really good series down the stretch. And uh, Ryan Rosborough, I'm sorry for doubting the Clippers. Um, well, I'll follow up. So overall takeaways, uh, Mavs too much reliance on Luca, like, which is super obvious. Porzingis is trash. Yeah. I, I made that you guys to, or Jack, you touched on a little bit, the Mavs playing either Willie Colley Stein and Boban at the five with KP at the four, uh, was just really weird. Uh, I don't, didn't love that. And I had the, I had some numbers here, but I didn't know the hundred percent from the field in the fourth. I just saw his shooting percentage, uh, Kawhi's that is his shooting percentage for the series was 61% from the field. Um, so that is ridiculous. That's like Shaq shooting percentage, uh, prime Shaq when he was dunking on everyone from, you know, like four feet, four feet around the basket. And Kawhi is, is shooting these shots to um, nearly 90% from the, from the free throw line. So I think Luca's magic blinded us for the first five games, but the last two were all Kawhi. And just remember a reminder why he's uh top three, top four, at least top five player in the league. Um, especially right now. Um, I will give some props to Dorian Finney Smith. I thought Finney Smith was the most consistent Maverick next to next to Luca. Um, and he shot as well as you could hope for from deep. So I think you, at least you got one piece that I think works well with Luca moving forward. Uh, what you do after that, who knows? So that's a, that's a good wrap up of the first round series. All right, and with that, let's jump right into the second round matchups. All the matchups are set across the East and the West now with, unfortunately, the Mavericks losing in seven to the Clippers. But let's start with the Eastern Conference. So the first round I wanted to take a look at is uh, the Sixers versus the Hawks. So the Hawks surprised some people in the first round. A lot of people were picking Knicks, but that might have just be uh, that New York City bias. But the, the Hawks are a really complete team. They're deep. They have a great bench, uh, great starting five as well. And they're taking on the juggernaut Sixers who have the second place MVP and the second place defensive player of the year. And they've traded a game so far. So it's tied 1-1 and uh, Embiid is playing despite his supposed torn meniscus. So that's really huge for the Sixers. He had a humongous game in game two to uh, tie the series up at one apiece. And uh, Simmons really put the clamps on Trey Young. And so if he can continue to do that, I think I think Hawks might be able to take this one. Caleb, what are your thoughts and predictions? Yeah, I see this being a battle, and I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but uh, Trey Young is playing playing winning basketball, and uh, he's got a great supporting cast, and so they're gonna scare the the heck out of the Sixers. But I do think the Sixers' size, defense, and they have the the ace, which is Embiid, there is no answer for Embiid. So I see as long as he, you know, stays healthy, they're going to pull this out, but I don't see it happening till, uh, or unless it's seven games. Um, one thing like you mentioned is, you know, they, they started putting Simmons on, on Trey young and Tybal on, on Trey young. So I think they need to stick with that. Danny green didn't seem to be the answer in game one. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a fun series to watch and a real contrast of, of styles, but the, just the size and defensive ability should uh, should lead the Sixers uh, into the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, that would certainly be a welcome sight for Sixers fans. Uh, Jaden, what are your thoughts, predictions on this? Do you have an X factor in this series? I think it, it, it'll have to be Clint Capella. Um, and we saw in game one that him and Embiid were going back and forth, trading offensive possessions and and really just taking it to the paint plants and good old-fashioned bully ball. But I think that if um, Joel Embiid doesn't score 40 a night, 
then the the Hawks very well may take this series. Like we saw the other night, he had to play out of his mind for them to even have a chance. So I think that the X factors, Clint Capella and his high pick and rolls with Trey Young, um, and him being able to keep up with Joel Embiid. But for me, um, the the Hawks seem to be my team in the playoffs. So you know what, I'm going um, Hawks in six. Ooh, bold. I, I, I agreed with, uh, for once, I actually agreed with Shaquille O'Neal when he said before the series started that if no if Embiid wasn't playing, it was going to be Hawks in five. So I did agree with that. But with Embiid playing and, and seemingly seemingly healthy and putting up big numbers, I got to roll with the Sixers. I, I just think they're a more complete team. But I would definitely welcome a upset from the Hawks. But uh, we're moving on to the other side of the Eastern Conference bracket. We have Caleb's Nets versus uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. And so uh, that series has kind of started a bit lopsided. We, we thought that might be a close one going in, but I mean, the Nets have absolutely outplayed them. In game one, they outplayed them. Uh, they lost James Harden one minute into the game and still won. And then in game two, they had that historic 39 point win um, to just put an exclamation point on their home court. Um, so Jay, what's your predictions on this? Do you think the Bucks can bounce back? Well, they're going back to Milwaukee for game three, which is tonight, which is Thursday night, I believe. Um, I don't think that the Bucks will be able to pull it off just because of the firepower that the Nets have. And we've talked about it a lot. We've talked about what offensively they can do. <clears throat> sorry. Um, what offensively they can do on the court, uh, the Nets big three. With the Bucks, it's tough because Giannis is, is obviously limited in some ways um, with shooting, creating his own shot. He's obviously best in transition, but if the Nets shut that down, then he's got to count on other guys like Chris Middleton. And uh, I'm not even sure is DiVincenzo back yet, but um, he, he's really got to count on other guys to step up and, and really take the lead and, um, and carry some of that offensive load. So, but to me, it's a, uh, it's a pretty easy one. Nets and four here. Um, I can't see them slowing down at all and, and, and letting the foot off the gas just because of the experience of these top three guys. And uh, in, in even the coaching of, of Steve Nash, we got to give him some props too. He's really, he's really been, a, been able to maneuver around um, guys missing games and, and really the inexperience of the three playing together at the same time um, in big games. So got to give it up to Steve Nash. Um, his nets have been uh, nothing short of incredible this postseason so far. So um, I'm looking for them to, to take it to the Bucks tonight. Uh, no love for Milwaukee, but I mean, I'm start. I'm kind of agree with you there. But Caleb, let's throw it over to you. What do you think? I mean, I know you got the Nets, but uh, how, how do you see the rest of this series going down? Well, yeah, originally I had I had this going to six games, and I was really concerned as someone who picked the Nets that the Bucks were were going to give them a, a real real test. And I said the winner of the series is going to take the title. Well, I'm still, you know, it's obvious that I'm still with that point. Whoever wins the series uh, is going to take the title. But yeah, the Bucks look uh, nowhere near what they looked like uh, against the the Heat and the Nets. Um, maybe them kind of having a, a mis- mismatch of of players throughout the regular season kind of prepped them for not having Harden in this series because they didn't miss miss a beat. Um, of course, I'm I'm all in on the Nets. Uh, originally, I had this series uh, going to or set Nets in six. I do think that the Bucs will get one kind of like Boston did probably game. Well, maybe, maybe tonight or, or game four, uh, but then the Nets will take care of business. The, the main thing is like Jaden touched on, uh, well, two things is that Giannis, you know, isn't, isn't efficient enough scoring the ball outside of the paint or outside of transition. And also DiVincenzo being out now, of course, I got to give him love. He's a Villanova guy. Um, but just another capable defender, I think, is what they're, they're really missing. Like, that is what their team is built on. And not having another guy that can chase around some of these nets, uh, you know, kind of hold the fort a little bit. So I think they really miss him. Of course, he, I'm sure he helped their offensive rotation too. But just defensively, they are not nearly as, as potent as I thought they were. The issue that I noticed, especially early, is that when they go pick and roll with Durant, um, they're, and they usually target Lopez. He's always in drop coverage and he goes low. So they're, you know, when you go drop coverage, you're basically allowing the, the mid range, but Durant is, doesn't miss from mid range. So 
that they're they're pretty stubborn. They've been sticking with that, and you're just letting Durant get to his spot, and like the guy is pretty much automatic, and that has not worked. So I, I they got they're gonna have to switch that up a bit. But what do you do against that kind of offensive firepower? I don't know, uh, but whatever, whatever they're doing right now is not working. I I feel bad for for Bud. I don't think uh, he's gonna survive if they get swept. I think he's he's done. And uh, yeah, but. Go Nets, go Steve Nash. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I, I was originally picking Milwaukee. I think the Nets do take it at this point. But like people say, you're never in trouble till you lose at home. So technically, the Bucks still may have a chance. I don't know how big of a chance it is. But I got to give a shout out to Steve Nash as well. I was really hard on the Nets defense throughout the regular season and, and through the first round even. But uh, they actually defended really well so far in this series. They've made it hard on the Bucks. They've made it hard to get to the rim. They made it really hard on Giannis to score. So uh, their defense has, has ramped up. And, I mean, Blake Griffin, uh, as much as he was dogging it in Detroit, he's still a player. I mean, he had a double-double last game, I believe. But if I'm the Bucks, I mean, you have to respond tonight in game three like if you don't win and win convincingly like what is this even what is the point of this series like you're supposed to be a contender you're supposed to box with this team and and maybe even beat them and you get blown out by 39 and you're like minus 45 in game one and two so uh, if i'm a if i'm a bucks fan i'm i'm on edge today waiting for uh, waiting for game three but with that let's move over to the western conference now um caleb and i were talking about it before we uh we got on air here uh, about the Suns and how, how their offense has been extremely potent so far against the Nuggets. So, Caleb, let's start with you. What did you think of the, the Suns so far and, and that series in general? I think they're, they're rolling. That confidence of being the defending champs, you know, over overcoming LeBron uh, and 80s Lakers, and Chris Ball is getting healthier every game, it seems like. So, yeah, they're playing with a lot of confidence. But the main thing – and the biggest storyline from a Suns perspective, I believe, is is Aiton, right? Like, he he's leveled up. He's gone against AD and now Jokic, and he holds his own. And, in fact, like, he he looked pretty darn good <laughs> against uh, Jokic lately and uh, was was getting buckets over, over him. Um, I'm not going to say with ease, but he looked comfortable. So that is a huge development for them because if he can even come close to matching what Jokic does, then the rest of the Suns are, you know, are going to take care of business and, and win all those other matchups just because of the, the limited options that the Nuggets have. And I mean, when Porter has to be brilliant every game, if, uh, if that's going to happen and he wasn't last night. So originally you guys have it in the show notes, you know, when we were supposed to do this pod on, on Saturday before the series started, I had Suns, Suns in five. Yeah, I, I am I am gonna brag about that. Um so but now geesh, Sun, Suns in the sweep. Uh probably not. There's probably a Jokic game. So I'll, I'll stick with Suns, Suns in five. But yeah, they're the Sun, they've been like Chris Paul was just a maestro yesterday with his with his passing and his value play. Oh man, you know. I'm, I'm all in on, on, uh, on CP three. So the way that he runs that, that offense is, is fun to watch. And, uh, Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, their supporting cast is great. Everyone's playing well. Uh, yeah. But I, what I'll say, sorry, Jokic, you got your, your trophy is the MVP trophy. That's, that's about it. Yeah. I mean, the sun's, the sun's offense is just in high octane right now. Jay, do you think this is a gentleman's sweep in the end, or do you think uh, the Nuggets can bounce back a little bit? Okay, so I was on the complete opposite end of the spectrum before the series started. I had um, Nuggets in six, I believe. And they can still so do I it, think, man. Hey, they can still do it. Um, I think that was me forgetting a little bit that they don't have Jamal Murray. I think, like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, this, this Denver team's good. Like, they're deep. And I think they'll be able to pull it out. Sounds like, I think in the back of my mind, a little spot, a little part of me thought that it was a bit of a fluke that the Suns beat the Lakers. But watching the Suns execute uh, last night and then the first game as well, um, it's their their offense is, is unbelievable. The way that Chris Paul pushes the pace, slows it down when he wants to, finds the open guy. Um, their offense seems organized. Now, on the other hand, Denver seems very disorganized. It seems like they're not really running any actual plays. It's more like, let's figure it out on the fly. 
um, no real flow to their offensive game. And Andrew Wright, Caleb, uh, Michael Porter Jr., if he wants, if the Denver wants to win, he has to play amazing every single game. He has to be that second option. He has to have enough confidence when, when he shoots, like when Kevin Durant shoots the ball. It just got, it just has to be automatic, shoot that thing, demand the ball, um, be that second guy to Jokic. I'm really, what I was also surprised about was how many shots that Will Barton was getting um, in that game last night. I like Will Barton as a player. I think he's underrated. I think that he has an opportunity um, to really make a name for himself in, in Denver and really um, take it to that next level. But if you're missing shots like he was last night, then that's that's not going to happen. Like He had a lot of opportunities where Jokic would drive, kick it out to him, and, and he would have a, a chance for, for a wide-open three-pointer or, or with a little bit of space between him and his defender, and, and he would miss. So um, I think that's another X factor that really needs to, to step up is, is Will Barton. Um, but on the other hand, you just got to give it to the Suns. They're playing absolutely phenomenal basketball um, on both sides. So, um, I like I said, I originally wanted to pick Denver and six, but I'm going to go Suns and six instead. I think uh, I think you're right again, Caleb, with Jokic is going to have one of those games at some point. Um, I think he's going to have two of those games. Yeah, I think I, I agree with a lot of the points you made there. I mean, one the thing that's impressed me the most so far is just Chris Paul, to be honest. I mean, he's the ultimate ceiling raiser rather than a floor raiser. Like he can just go on any team and just make them way better than they have ever been. And you see that with him on the Suns. I mean, if Booker, I mean, Booker's obviously had it going, but if Booker misses a step or misses a shot, you have Chris Paul as that safety outlet to calm everybody down and get everybody on the same page and just make the right play. So I also have to roll with the Suns. I think I'm going to say five as well. Um, I like the Nuggets. I like Jokic, but I just, I don't believe in their firepower right now without Murray and without, uh, or I guess, sorry, they just got Barton back, but I, I just, I feel for Jokic because it sucks to that. He's going to win MVP and then, and then go out like this possibly, but I have Suns as well. And, and let's con- now finish up on, on the last, uh, last second round matchup is uh, Jazz versus the LA Clippers. Uh, Jaden, I want to start with you. What's impressed you the most so far from this series? The Obviously, Donovan Mitchell. I think Donovan Mitchell has been, like, it's, he's, we talked about him before, second coming of Dwayne Wade. That is, like, if, if you were there to watch, like, early Dwayne Wade and him being an, an exciting young player in the league, I mean, Donovan is exactly like him and more. Donovan is athletic, um, can shoot the ball, has that swag to him, and and is upset at every single rim in the NBA, apparently. He's he's unbelievable. He's carrying this jazz team, this jazz franchise, and he's making them relevant again. And the LA Clippers, um, they've been there before. In the Mavs series, they've been down early to start. Um, they still have a chance to come back, and, and luckily that they'll have um, games three and four back at home. So I think that they'll be able to to come back and, and have some huge games. But for the most part, I'm, I'm super impressed with the with the Jazz offense and defense on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They're really suffocating them, giving them no room to to shoot, and it's it's been working out for them. So um, great job to Quinn Snyder. I don't think he gets enough uh, love. I guess. Uh, I guess we're giving a lot of love to the coaches this podcast, but um, Quinn Snyder did has done an amazing job and um, really putting together a game strategy to to stop the the power two of uh, of LA. And um, yeah, I had I had the Clippers winning this um, before, but I think it's going to go to Game Seven, and I'm honestly not sure who's going to win. But um, I mean, I can't I can't fault Kawhi for uh, for his experience in, in Game Seven. So you know what. I'm going to go Clippers in seven. Ooh, Caleb, do you, do, you, do you agree? Are you going Clippers as well, or do you have the Jazz? Well, Kawhi does scare the hell out of me as someone who's picking the Jazz. Uh, seeing what he, he did in those two elimination games, uh, yeah, he went full-on cyborg Terminator mode to the, uh, to the Mavs. But I just – if the Mavs took uh, the Clippers to seven, then – 
the Jazz should easily be able to get to seven or beat them in six is what I have. Um, not only, like Jay said, is, is Donovan Mitchell, you know, doing a great D-Wade impersonation with that early Heat team in his first title, um, but Mitchell's almost, you know, well, or not almost, he's he's better handling the ball. You know, Wade could get to the free throw line maybe a little bit better um, or easier because I think Mitchell gets there a lot. Uh, just the way the NBA is now, I think they reward uh, a lot of ch- little softer fouls. But ultimately, like, yeah, Mitchell is super impressive, but they have the reigning defensive player of the year. Joe Ingles is one of my favorite scrappiest players. Um, he's, I, I don't know, I just, I love Joe Ingles. And I think he, he provides them a lot, but also they got Jordan Clarkson who like has never seen a shot he doesn't like. Uh, but he, his his usage rate is is right there behind Donovan Mitchell. And when he comes in, it's just like, you know, here's the keys and, and take this offense wherever you want it to go. Um, so yeah, their, their offense is, amazing and their their defense is very strong too so I just think although Kawhi scares the hell out of me Jazz good team basketball kind of like the Suns versus the Nuggets give me give me five over one or give me five over over two um any day and now those ones are those twos so like Paul George and Kawhi could have a game or two but overall I have to say that you know and that the home court advantage for the Jazz is huge you know like people don't like to play there and they were unbelievable this season at home i believe jack you're the stat guy so you probably know the record even more the fans are racist that's why we don't <laughs> want to play there <laughs> well that might might be true uh i mean i would yeah there's certainly some that are way offside uh but also there's an altitude thing difference too isn't there yeah yeah um, definitely so yeah i think i think the jazz are, are gonna pull it out in in six and they then them and the Suns for the Western Conference Finals for the battle to see who who loses to the Nets. But I said it earlier, I think it's the Jazz are going to get to the finals and they'll be the ones that come second this year. Yeah, so we're watching the Jazz so far. They're just such a complete team. And I didn't get a chance to watch them all that much during the regular season just with the 10, 1030 starts and on the West Coast. But man, they're just so complete. Like they play unreal defense. Shout out to Rudy Gobert, fourth player ever to win Defensive Player of the Year three times. Um, they, they've got Mitchell on the offensive end. Um, we're forgetting that they, they were missing Mike Conley in, uh, in game one. He's a huge player for them because he can just he can create his own shot going downhill. He's a great pick and roll player. Um, yeah, no, I just think the Jazz are, are super complete. And I mean, obviously, the Clippers surprised us last series when they came back from 2-0. So I mean, they're never out of it. And, and it seems like Ty Lue has kind of figured out what rotation they're going to go with going forward, um, bringing in Mr. Kennard off the bench now. Um, Kennard was really good. He was, yeah. I know he had an 18-point explosion for them in game one. But, I mean, he's a liability on D. Jazz were just taking it at him. But, no, the Jazz sort of impressed me. I, I do. I agree with you, Caleb. I think I think Jazz in six, and I, and I see the Jazz coming out of the West. Um, but I think they are a comparable team to the Suns. I mean, one through five, they're really deep. They've got a decent, decent bench. Um, I mean, I'd give the Jazz the favor with Clarkson and, and Bogdanovich and everyone, but it, it should be interesting. I mean, I, I have Jazz over the Clippers, but it, it definitely could go either way. But that, that wraps up our, our second round predictions and synopsis so far. Um, are there any last words you guys wanted to add about which which one of these matchups might be your favorite or, or anything like that? I think the most intriguing one at, at this point to me is the Sixers Hawks because of the contrast of, of styles and Embiid's health and just the, the tortured franchise that is the Sixers, um, you know, because they get a lot of flack still for tanking from my father-in-law, Brian Squeege Davies is always saying that's not the right way to do it. And I'm like their fans didn't even care that they lost for six years straight. And like this, um, and they have two extremely talented players, but, for all the Bryans out there, if the Sixers don't at least make the Eastern Conference Finals, they get to, you know, uh, point out their flaws and how how crazy they were. And Trey Young is has leveled up. Jaden's guy, Trey Young, is you know slowly earning my respect, but I I can't cheer for him. <laughs> well, I mean, trust the process, Jay. What do, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Ice Trey, uh, one of the best under 25 players in the league, no doubt about it. And obviously, I think they're going to come out with the big W uh, versus Philly. Uh, I love that series, love watching it, very exciting basketball. But I'm going to go with uh, Denver Phoenix. Um, it's it's artistry when you watch CP3 handle the ball. 
I think that it's it's art. I think it's exciting. I think it's fun. Um, and it's it's a young, fun Suns team. I mean, they they brought um, like good basketball back to Phoenix, and people are loving it. So I think with um, the combination of CP3 and Booker, um, along with uh, Jokic on the other side, I think that it's a very entertaining series to watch. And I think all eyes on them for uh, for the Western Conference. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I would have said uh, Bucks versus Nat was the series I was most interested in, but it doesn't look like it's too interesting so far. So come on, Milwaukee, come on, make me tune in again. But but with that, we're going to conclude our show. This has been episode four of Loyal to the Game podcast brought to you by 613. On behalf of Caleb and Jaden, thank you so much for joining us and uh, keep your eyes posted for the next time we uh, post a pod. So thanks for listening and take care, everybody.